MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, August 20th, 2021. Today, a MAGA terrorist drove a bro-dozer into D.C. and threatened to bomb what he thought was the Capitol building, and Mo Brooks cheered him on. Biden uses the full force of the feds to intervene on mask mandates in states that refuse to issue them. New York Attorney General Tish James says the NRA must be dissolved. And an Alabama doctor is refusing to treat patients that refuse the vaccine. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Surprise! <laughs> it's you! It's me! You surprised us all. <laughs> the way I said it, we started laughing during that tiny segment of a break. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Surprise! I'm Dana Goldberg. Suck it, America. I love it. Yeah, no, because you're not even supposed to be here today, but you are because Amy's off traveling the world, doing something rad, being on a boat somewhere, being hot. And and so I was like, Dana, I know you're done traveling. Can you cut? And you're like, yes, Yes, course. I can. I got your back. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, my sister. Okay, now, later in the show, I'm going to be talking with former U.S. ambassador to Russia under Obama and author of the book From Cold War to Hot Peace about what's going on with Ukraine and Russia. You know him as Michael McFall. And uh, it's a really interesting conversation. We talk about Afghanistan. I don't agree with him on everything, but I want to get other perspectives in here, as you know. We are now evacuating 7,000 people per day. It was, I think, 4,000 yesterday. We doubled that today. There are 20 planes waiting. We've got 6,000 people on the ground in Afghanistan. They're securing the airport. Now we're just trying to stop the Taliban from stopping the Afghans from coming to the airport. And so I personally think that despite what the mainstream media says, that this extrication of of all of the folks uh, on the ground that we need to get out is going very well. Yes, it should have started earlier, but the Biden was told not to by the Afghan government. And now we're getting reports that Intel knew that, that the Taliban was closing in and Afghanistan was going to fall to the Taliban. You know what? Again, it, it was never going to be awesome and right. mistakes were made and we'll figure out what those were and we'll make sure it doesn't happen again. I mean... Did you see Maddo last night with the the story of Zach and his family? Oh, God. I'm heart, heart wrenching and it, she doesn't often cry. I mean, I know I've seen the last time I saw her cry was when she when she mentioned a couple of years ago, the camps for the tender age. Yes. Remember when they were and she and she lost it a little bit. Then that's the last time I saw her cry. Other than this, these were tears of joy. Yeah. And I was so happy for the ending. I think we were all watching that like, come on, Zach, come on, I family. Know. I shouldn't say heart wrenching. It was heart warming. But it, it still is that that feeling terrifying. of like the shouldn't yeah. have had to have. Terrifying. That's well said. And I think that the main point that she was trying to drive home is, look, this was with the full force of somebody back in the United States using every single phone number and every single resource they had to help get this one family out. And these, there are thousands of these families. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it reminded me of, of, you know, I got a bunch of help and recognition for my claim for PTSD for military sexual assault because I was in a movie. I was in an Oscar nominated movie. Right. And I it kept it kept me up at night about the thousands who weren't in a movie. Right. And, and so I think that probably the media is going to be focusing on these stories and and continuing to to bash the Biden administration for for not starting earlier. 
and not looking at the successes. But, you know, we're going to get 7000 people out and more tomorrow. And 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 our Pentagon has said August 31st is an arbitrary date. We will take how long it takes. And, you know, Malcolm Nance said to us yesterday, look, we have the ability to take the whole country back over. The Taliban isn't going to stop us from doing what we need to do. Right. But right now they're they're giving us a little bit of leeway. And this, quote unquote, kinder, gentler Taliban is 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 trying to, I guess, seem legitimate on a world stage. They can get U.N. recognition. They can get recognition as the legitimate government of Afghanistan. I don't trust trust them at all. But it is giving us a little bit of passage, a little bit of safe passage for the time being. We'll see what happens on August 31st. Anyway, that's the Afghan update. I'm I'm so glad you're here today. <laughs> Me too. We've got so much news. I'm your co-pilot. We do. Let's let's hit it. Let's get to the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, lead story today. A man who claimed to have a bomb with him in his pickup truck in his bro dozer near the Library of Congress surrendered to the authorities Thursday afternoon ending an hours-long standoff in the heart of the Capitol. U.S. Capitol Police said in a Twitter message they were checking a suspicious vehicle near the Library of Congress. The Cannon, Jefferson, and Madison office buildings had been evacuated. Police say there was a possible explosive device in the pickup truck, though no explosives have been found at this point. Congress is not in session this week. U.S. Capitol Police Chief J. Thomas Manger, or Manger, I don't know how to say his name, said the incident started around 9.15 a.m. when the man drove a black pickup truck onto the sidewalk outside the Library of Congress at First Street and Independence Avenue. He said the driver told an officer who responded to the call that he had a bomb, and the officer said he saw what appeared to be a detonator. Manger, Manger, said negotiators were hard at work talking to the man negotiating, was hoping to have a peaceful resolution to this incident because he's a white guy. And, uh, of course, when the police came out and gave a press conference, they said, well, he's... Let me actually read it to you because it it really it, pisses it's me infuriating. Off. <laughs> actually, you can definitely read it. It really really pisses. So I'm going to bring this up here. Do do. They said the suspect has been dealing with trauma. There are personal burdens laying upon him. Uh, you know, and I tweeted, "Hey, I've had PTSD for 20 years. I've never once thought about driving a bro dozer filled with explosives to blow up the fucking Capitol." I know he got the building wrong, by the way, but what that's a shit narrative. And I stand by that message. And they always end this way. It seems like the white guy always gets the oh, he's got mental health issues and et cetera. And uh, black and brown people, uh, thug, former drug dealer, was probably on opiates, probably carrying a bunch of fentanyl. We shot him. Yep. And uh, this it just it never ceases. It never ceases to amaze. I me. mean, the, the the shocking disappointment from the media on this. And I think CNN even was a big part of this narrative. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, you all should be doing better than this. This isn't even, uh, you know, bipartisan news explaining. This is just, they're just, it's bad. It's just bad journalism, period. Well, yeah, his parents had just died or something. And I mean, you know, that this is how we all cope with the loss of a loved one, right? We, we, Put a grab a fake detonator and put a mm-hmm. bunch of gunpowder in our crotch and drive to the Capitol. It's what I do, Dana. To co- that's my coping mechanism. You know, you can't fault me for that. Yes. And yes, he has mental health issues. Okay, and this is what I want to talk about. There was someone who tweeted after that, and listen for the listeners. When I do see these tweets, and I I think about them and I, I take them to heart, but also I want to explain myself. Someone said to me that they wished I would stop equating the stupid people on the right to having mental illness 
and it triggers them. And listen, I don't ever want to trigger anyone intentionally on this, this show. However, when I say that the, when I'm talking about the people on the right that have mental illness, I'm talking about people like this that think the end of times are coming. I'm talking about the guys screaming at the school board meetings at the top of their lungs about how we're, we're killing children. Now, I'm not going to wear a mask because freedom, pew, 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 that's stupidity. But there is a mental health issue in this country with this cult following and these people that are so delusional. And so that's what I mean when I say that a lot of these people would benefit from a psychiatrist and they, they are dealing with mental health issues. I worry about them. There is something wrong. These people are ill. Yeah. And one doesn't cause the other, right? Mental health issues don't. hundred percent. Mental health, having a mental health issue doesn't cause you to, to drive you to be an insurrectionist. A mental health issue doesn't cause you to do those things. You're just an asshole. Mental health issue doesn't cause you to 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 be stupid. Right. Uh, but you can be stupid and a violent asshole and also have mental health issues. Yes. I, I think I think it's important. To, and I'm glad you brought that up because no, neither of us are trying to equate no. the two. They're mutually exclusive things. I remember watching Orange is the New Black, which is one of my favorite shows ever mm -hmm. in the fucking world. And they portrayed these ex these veterans that are now prison guards with PTSD as like, it's because they were veterans that there are these rapey, raging assholes. I'm like, no, of course it can exacerbate it. But the, these are assholes that also have mental health issues. Absolutely. You know, and so I and and another thing I'm trying to be careful about is to say, whoa, that's crazy. You know, right. I also I'm I'm working on that myself. But yeah, I think it's really great that you're clarifying that, that neither of us would ever say that one causes the other or that they're related at all. Right. I and mean, I think there is yeah. a lot of stupid people on the other side that do not have mental health issues. I also think there's some <laughs> stupid people on our side that clearly do not have mental health issues. Yeah. So there's, there's smart people who have mental health issues. There's violent people who have mental health issues. I mean, it's they're mutually. Expensive. And the same side, uh, the same, the other side of the same coin, whatever the hell that's saying is I will also be more cognizant that I don't throw that around. If that's the case, I don't remember doing it, but I also want to be very careful with that. You and I have both been a little more cautious of saying that's insane. That's crazy. Cause I know that it does trigger some people. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and thank you for pointing that out. And you know, we will, you know, clarify. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now on to the next story, we've got president Biden. He is escalating his fight with Republican governors who are blocking local school districts from requiring masks to protect against the coronavirus. Now said Wednesday that his education department would use its broad powers, including taking possible legal action to deter states from barring universal masks in classrooms. Yes. Yes. Mr. Biden said he had directed Miguel Cordona, his education secretary, to take additional steps to protect our children, including against governors who he said are, quote, setting a dangerous tone in issuing executive orders, banning mask mandates and threatening to penalize school officials who defy them. Now, Mr. Cordona said he would deploy the Education Department's civil rights enforcement arm to investigate states that block universal masking. Mm. The move marks a major turning point in the Biden administration's effort to get as many students as possible back to in-person schooling this fall. And Dana, this is so this is so fucking cool that they're using the civil rights enforcement arm 
because this does have to do with marginalized communities. And I think that I think you're about to tell us how. Absolutely. So this is actually helping the nation's most vulnerable students, namely students with disabilities, low income students. And as you said, students of color, they have suffered the deepest setbacks under this. And under Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, students are entitled to a free, appropriate public education known as FAPE. F-A-P-E, and Title VI under the Civil Rights Act of 1964 prohibits discrimination based on race, color, and national origin. Mm. So this is big. The other thing I love, and I think it was Paris, Texas, actually changed their dress code to work around Governor Abbott's bullshit no mask mandate, which is brilliant. We've had a couple of of schools say, all right, well, we'll just make it part of the dress code. Now, I, Steve Vladek, our, our friend and, and con law lawyer, says that's probably not going to hold up in court, but it's a good delay. To, Absolutely. To it's going to be terribly while. problematic, but I think it's hilarious <laughs> that they're like, all right, we're going to put it into the dress code. Yeah. And then you're going to have to have the fight of, of how dress codes are unconstitutional. And really, uh, really, that'll be interesting. Well, actually, yeah, because there's going to be a lot of young ladies that will benefit mm-hmm. from that when the Republicans are like, dress codes are unconstitutional. And, you know, Julie, who wants to wear a little bit of a shirt that sews a strap, might be able to do that from now on. Oh, no. Yeah. Careful what you wish for, dick faces. Yep. All right. Speaking of dick faces, the National Rifle <laughs> Association has not cleaned up rampant financial and managerial misconduct as it claimed over the past year, illustrating the need for the gun rights group to be dissolved. That's what New York Attorney General Letitia James said in a court filing because she's a badass. A failed bid for bankruptcy protection earlier this year exposed the hollowness of the organization's claim to have corrected mismanagement, which includes lavish spending by its longtime leader, Wayne LaPierre, and other serious lapses. And then she said that in an amended lawsuit in New York State Court. The attorney general said even the bankruptcy judge had cited the shocking level of authority LaPierre exercised over the group. James, who sued to dissolve the New York chartered nonprofit a year ago, said in her new complaint Monday that the NRA's evasion of accountability has continued unabated. She said the organization's leaders intentionally disregarded proper corporate governance, wasted charitable assets, falsely reported improper transactions and allowed insiders to take advantage of the NRA. LaPierre fired the treasurer of the NRA from his role as chief financial officer in January 2021, just two weeks after they filed for bankruptcy. That's according to the complaint. The NRA boss later testified under oath at the bankruptcy hearing that the treasurer had expressed a desire to move on for health reasons. According to James, (laughs) that that representation was false. So, yeah, we took the lie detector test and the lie detector said that was a lie. Beep. All right. Okay, let's go down to Alabama. Alabama, or the nation's lowest vaccination rate, has helped push the state closer to a record number of hospitalizations. This is a good news story. A physician has sent a clear, I mean, it's probably problematic, but a physician has sent a clear message to his patients, don't come in for medical treatment if you are unvaccinated. Jason Valentine, a physician at Diagnostic and Medical Clinic Infirmary Health in Mobile, Alabama, posted a photo on Facebook this week of him pointing to a sign taped to a door informing patients of his new policy coming October 1st. Quote, Dr. Valentine will no longer see patients that are not vaccinated against COVID-19, the sign reads. And Valentine wrote in the post, which has since been made private, but was captured in online images, that there were no conspiracy theories, no excuses stopped anyone from being vaccinated. And that's AL.com reported this. The doctor, who said at least three unvaccinated patients have asked him where they could get a vaccine since he posted the photo. 
has remained resolute to those have, who have questioned his decisions in recent days. And this is a quote, we do not yet have any great treatments for severe disease, but we do have great prevention with vaccines. Unfortunately, many have declined to take the vaccine and some end up severely ill or dead, he wrote. I cannot and will not force anyone to take the vaccine, but I also cannot continue to watch my patients suffer and die from an imminently preventable disease. And now, AG, I just want to, you know, a lot of people are saying Mm. that they can take a, a religious exemption if they don't want to have a vaccine, a religious exemption. Well, you know what? If they're arguing that you can argue a religious exemption to not give health care to an LGBTQ family or one of their children, on the other side of that horribly unconstitutional coin is a doctor having a right to say, you know what? Thou shalt take care of your neighbor is in the Bible, according to these folks. And so that is also a religious exemption of, I don't have to give you medical help if you are not following my Christ beliefs. It's a, it's a far-fetched <laughs> argument, but it is this, it, the, so is the other side of that coin. Well, here's where I would go with this, because first of all, I think it's kind of against the Hippocratic Oath, right? To sure. not render aid, from medical care. Absolutely agreed. To someone who needs it. However... If I were a doctor, I would also have to consider my mental health. Mm -hmm. And I would say I am following the Hippocratic Oath of do no harm, uh, doing no harm to myself. Yeah. That would be my argument for this. I don't know how I personally feel about it. I've worked in healthcare for so long. I think everyone, including assholes, deserves healthcare. But if you're a doctor who can't, because if what it seems like to me until he said, I cannot continue to watch my patients suffer and die from a preventable disease. That just sounds less like I refusing to give health care to a trans child. Of course. And more like I mentally can't deal with it. I and I shouldn't have to. So it's a it presents a very interesting argument. That's yeah. Of the do no harm. And I would say, hey, that includes me, my friends. And a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Do no harm also means that I'm not going to make myself susceptible to a virus. And I understand most doctors are masked and they're in and they're PPE, but if you're putting yourself in a position where you may be asymptomatic, you know, because you got it from an unvaccinated patient, I think it's a right decision. Something's got to be done to get these people vaccinated. And don't say you believe in hydroxychloroquine and, you know, Regeneron or whatever the fuck it's called, and then say, but I don't trust vaccines. Well, Regeneron works. Right. No, right. I understand Regeneron that. works. Hydroxychloroquine doesn't. But they don't know. They A lot of them don't know how Regeneron works. That's what I'm saying. So do the vaccines. Well, right. The point so is, is saying, you know, I don't trust yeah. the government to give me drugs unless it's my Republican governor exactly. and it's Regeneron. Thank but, you. But, you know, we do know how this is spread. We do know how contagious it is. But I think there are we don't know uh, if a new variant is introduced and and those new variants we will not know you know thank you right so you are really I, helping me out today i don't know if i had coffee too late but i really do appreciate you coming in you know i mean that's what you were that's what you're getting at is like you know this very particular strain of course we know a lot about it but there are you know with un- the amount of unvaccinated there are going to be new strains there's the lambda there's the delta plus there could be a- additional strains and you don't know which variant you're passing on right. and what it's are not is or how it's I mean it's probably through the air but you know how it's continuing to mutate I mean right yes because novel coronavirus you couldn't get outdoors right delta you you can and you can get it back so we yeah there's just with with 
all these new possibilities of new strains and new mutations. Those we don't know about. And, and he's putting himself at harm's, in harm's way and his other patients also. And you know what? Five of his patients have asked, how can I get a vaccine? So something's yeah, working. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. All right. I'll get a vaccine. All right. Cool. We, um, we've gone a little bit long today. That's okay. We're going to be back in a little bit with the good news. But right now, coming up next is my discussion with former U.S. ambassador to Russia under Obama and the author of From Cold War to Hot Peace, Mike McFall. So stick around for that, and then we'll, we'll have the good news later. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG for the beans. This year, I've been focusing on my nutrition and overall health. As you know, I've researched and tried every single omega-3 on the market, pretty much. And my favorite, by far, is iwi. Iwi's secret is algae. It's on a whole different level than plain fish oil. Iwi, iwi knows that fish get their omega-3s from algae, so why don't we? We go straight to the source, skip the middle fish, and you skip the fish taste too. Iwi's proprietary form of algae leads to 50% more absorption, so it's way awesomer. It's the world's highest absorption rate of any source of omega-3. And in a clinical study, iwi cholesterol helped reduce bad VLDL cholesterol by 25% on average in just three months. So if you want to get a boost with your health, adding iwi to your self-care supplements is a must. Support your heart, brain, vision, and overall wellness with Iwi. All of Iwi's products are plant-based, which is awesome, and their algae is sustainably farmed in the United States. So go to iwilife.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans, all one word, to save 30% on your first purchase. Take advantage of this limited time offer today. iwilife.com, that's I-W-I-L-I-F-E.com slash dailybeans, code dailybeans for 30% off your first purchase iwilife.com slash daily beans and don't forget code daily beans these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration and this product is not intended to diagnose treat or cure or prevent any disease all right everybody welcome back it's an honor today to be joined by the former u.s ambassador to russia under obama and the author of from cold war to hot peace please welcome mike mcfall hey how are you doing today i'm doing okay good to see you it's really good to see you it's been a while since we've spoken I wanted to talk to you today a bit about some information that we're now getting today from General Milley and the operation to secure the airport in Kabul and what's going on on the ground in Afghanistan. You had tweeted out and I or I think maybe you told Andrea Mitchell that the obviously there's this was unforeseen and it's it's turned into a mess. But you say the only way to correct this first mission is is for the second mission to be a success. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean when you say that? Sure. And thanks for having me. And I want to say at the outset, I study international relations. I teach about Afghanistan. I have for several years. I uh, usually have uh, Ambassador Carl Eikenberry as my guest lecturer for that session, but I'm not an expert on Afghanistan. I do teach about democracy promotion and state building and all these things I'm told now we don't do. But I would say a couple of things about process and kind of strategic objectives versus implementation plans. There's a big debate, in my view, that should be had about what was the purpose of our mission in Afghanistan over the last 20 years, and how did it change, and then how did the policy changes lead to implementation plans that changed? In my view, there's a bit of revisionist history going on right now that says our only mission there was to defeat al-Qaeda. Now we've done that and mission accomplished and we should leave. I happen to believe that maybe President Biden himself believes that that's what should have been the mission, but that wasn't the mission in 2001. And if you go back and you read what President Bush said, that most certainly wasn't his vision. I worked at the White House during the last, during the surge, as we called it, at the National Security Council. 
And our mission was bigger than just defeating the Al-Qaeda back then. But that, that's the bigger debate. The smaller debate about what is happening on the streets in Kabul today is President Biden and his team made a decision for continuity with what President Trump did in regards to the agreement with the Taliban that they negotiated. We've all seen the photos of Secretary Pompeo, and we've all seen the, the clips of President Trump. I think some people have forgotten that he, President Trump even wanted to invite the Taliban to Camp David. And somebody rightfully, in my view, intervened and said that wasn't such a good idea, Mr. President. But they did have that plan. And the, the, the Biden administration, let's just remember, they have pivoted away from many other Trump plans and Trump agreements. They've said that on X, Y, and Z, he was wrong in terms of foreign policy. In this particular issue, they decided to go with continuity. And so that's their decision. And the, and the president's very comfortable with that. They didn't have an implementation plan to achieve the objectives that the president outlined. I don't think that's a partisan statement. That's just a, a fact. But it's not the last fact in this drama. And, I, and that's what I meant. That is, okay, plan A did not succeed. And I've sat in the White House Situation Room and, and, and drafted implementation plans for policy objectives set before me. By the way, I did it uh, with respect to Kyrgyzstan back when there was a revolutionary situation there in 2010. You draft a plan. This plan didn't work. So plan B, which they're now doing, that's, to me, they need to lean in and have complete success on that so that everybody will forget about plan A. And to me, there, there are two critical objectives there. One is everyone, all American citizens, obviously, all Afghan citizens who qualify for these SIV visas, number two. And number three, as the president now has articulated, anyone who is part of the broader mission that we were doing there that fears for their lives should be evacuated. That will take longer than the artificial deadline. In my view, it's artificial of August 31st. And so I just encourage whenever I can the Biden administration to remember that, that if you want, if you want to put this behind you, don't have your plan B also fail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think it was Jake Sullivan who said, look, August 31st, we will be there to get everyone out. And, you know, like you said, journalists, aides, NGO, staff, et cetera. Everyone will be out. We aren't going to if, if it takes longer than August 31st, it takes longer than August 31st. And I, I agree with that. And I, I don't think anyone should be jumping on any sort of conclusion so far about how it's going. We're two days in. Right. We need to definitely give that some time. Right. And General Milley said today that there was no military intelligence, that, that this would the broader expectation was it would be weeks, months, some even said years before the Taliban would inevitably take over Afghanistan. But he he had no intelligence that it was going to happen in 11 days. And I think that that's evident with Biden's genuine announcements that he made after talking with Ghani and just the last, you know, a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, it's going to be it's going to, you know, we have time. We have time. They all felt like they had time. Right. And that's what I'm so interested in is is how as how that was kind of missed because it it happened and it happened fast and it unraveled. But you're right. It is what it is now. And the only way to erase the stain of it is to make sure that we're successful in this second mission now, which is to which is to ex exfiltrate everyone successfully and safely. Yeah. I mean, I think the intelligence question you're asking is a very important one. 
as somebody who's worked in the government for five years, uh, I would say intelligence is an imperfect science. We, we rely on those people to predict the future, and they're not any better at it than political sciences, you know, where I sit now in the academy. And there's, you know, there's updating that has to happen there. I think, you know, in retrospect, as I look at it, and I think of other cases of transition that I know better, there was obviously deals being made between the Taliban and the Afghan fighting forces. And I think probably even some of the government forces when we learn the full scope of things. There's no way that 300,000 individual soldiers spontaneously decide not to fight. And that part we, you know, we were not privy to, we were not focused on. I think it was somewhat naive to think that you were going to set a deadline for when we're leaving, which everybody in Afghanistan, even I knew that. I mean, I have friends and colleagues and students in Afghanistan, everybody knew that and not expect that that might not change your calculus about how long you're going to be able to fight. And why should you fight if you think that there's no chance of winning? So that, but that, that deserves, you know, scrutiny. I think we need to learn from that and, and the hot scrub that Jake Sullivan talked about, we should do that. And at the same time, get better. And I'm all, I think they're already better, by the way. I think they're, uh, you know, the operation today is better than it was before. And I predict the operation in, in tomorrow in 48 hours will be better than, than just uh, before. I, I mean, concretely, I have people I know on the ground that went to the airport 24 hours ago and it was too chaotic and they couldn't get through and now they're through. That's an anecdote, but that suggests that the process of doing this in a more coherent way, and and those are capabilities we have, military capabilities, State Department capabilities. They just appointed uh, Ambassador John Bass to oversee everything. I know Ambassador Bass, he's an extremely competent guy, and that they're sending in somebody so senior like him to oversee the operation, that to me is a, is a good sign. That's a sign of a credible commitment to do it right. Yeah, that, that was a good sign. I was going to ask you about that. I'm glad you brought that up with Ambassador Bass. To go back a little bit on the illicit deals, you know, because like you said, the deadline and the deal made in Doha back in February of 2020 just sort of we now have reports in public reporting that there were some local payoffs to get the Afghan army to lay down their arms. But then we also heard that the orders had been coming from above in some cases. And now we've learned, uh, we well, we knew that Ghani had fled, but now he's landed in Dubai, which I find an interesting choice. <laughs> How should we find out exactly what went down? Do you think we should have congressional commission or perhaps um, an intelligence community assessment like they did the intelligence community assessment on on the Russian interference, that kind of a thing? Like, how, how do we get to the bottom of that? I mean, obviously, first, you know, first things first, we have to get our people out and uh, all the people out safely, all the Afghans out safely that are eligible for SIV visas. But when we do get to that point, what, what do you think is the best way to, to find out what happened? That's a great question. So I guess if I were doing it, I would want to have not a congressional investigation because we're just so partisan right now. I don't have a lot of faith in that. Uh, something along the lines of a 9-11 group that it's outsiders, experts. It's not just an intelligence. I wouldn't want to just have the intelligence folks do it. I, I think having external people, uh, academics, uh, that help to interrogate the process in a, in a kind of nonpartisan way. I mean, these are these are things that we do in academia, by the way. We study, we've studied the end of the Vietnam War. I've got, you know, 
50 books on my, uh, <laughs> I'm just looking on right now. I've got it. I've got 30 books on state building and ending civil wars and democracy in post-conflict situations. In other words, I would want to expand the aperture to be big. And I would want to interrogate both to know what happened internally, right? I mean, you had a split government. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that maybe Ghani said, we're not going to negotiate, but but other people working around him said, no, we will negotiate. I was very struck by some of the, the people that in his government that flew to meet with the Taliban while he was fleeing, they were negotiating. But then we also have to have a, you know, a reckoning about our decision-making and our, not just the, I won't try to use my words diplomatically here, just not just the, the reckoning about how could we spend so much money on 300,000 soldiers that disappear in a heartbeat, but all the other things. If the president was right and we shouldn't have had a mission for democracy building, why were we spending hundreds of millions of dollars on democracy organizations in Afghanistan? I know many of them. They've been there for 20 years. Where is the disconnect between objectives and, and money that we're spending there? And third, oversight. You know, why, why is this all a big surprise now? Where The congressional role on all this, I want to know where they were and why, you know, that piece needs to be, I think, I, and I believe that about a lot of foreign policy, I would like to see a more deliberative legislative branch be more involved in, in, in interrogating things beforehand, not just, you know, when everything collapses. Yeah, I agree. And and I want to ask you about Russia's role in this, but I, I do have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. All right. Thanks very much. We'll be right back. Hello, it's Allison, AG, Allison Gill. This portion of the beans is brought to you by All Form. They craft premium customizable sofas and chairs and love seats delivered right to your doorstep super fast and they're easy to put together and they're wonderful. It is my favorite place to, to get beautiful, custom, high quality crafted furniture to fit my personal specifications. All Forms sofas and chairs are made to your specs. They're delivered fast and free of charge. You can customize your own luxury furniture with premium materials, but at a fraction of the cost. You get to pick the sofa color, the size, the shape, the configuration, and the fabric, which is spill, stain, and scratch resistant. You know, I chose a three-seater sofa with whiskey-colored leather and a walnut-leg finish and a chaise lounge on the side. It's so comfy. I love it. All Form delivers fast. It takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. They have beautiful armchairs and love seats all the way up to eight seat sectionals. So you can always start small and buy more seats later if you want. Best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. So there's no risk. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. And today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. As we know, Forbes reports that gyms, nail salons, hotels, mom and pop shops, small businesses, and more are gearing up for a surge in hiring in the near future in order to meet the increased need for these services. Plus, we have the massive infrastructure and jobs bill, and those jobs are going to need to be filled too. I'm really looking forward to comedy shows, concerts, and spas once again. Reopening all these businesses will create millions and millions of jobs. So where do these businesses turn to fill those roles? They go to ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash DailyBeans. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, they send your job to over 100 top job sites, giving you access to their network of millions of job seekers. According to ZipRecruiter internal data, jobs where employees invite candidates to apply get two and a half times more candidates. 
ZipRecruiter's technology is so awesome that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. Once again, ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Beans. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Everybody, welcome back. We're speaking with former U.S. ambassador to Russia and the author of From Cold War to Hot Peace, which you need to read if you haven't read, Mike McFaul. Before the break, Ambassador, we were talking about I wanted to know, like, how Russia plays a role in this, because, I mean, you know, if we think about what Trump was to Putin and how they interacted and I mean, you know, he did a lot of favors for Putin. And I feel like there are a lot of benefits for Russia in the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. Can you talk a little bit because this is your wheelhouse. Talk a little bit about how Russia is involved in this. Yeah, well, I would start even bigger than Russia, and I would add China, and I would just observe that President Biden, rightly in my view, I I think he's got the right analytic framework when he says, we are in a new era of great power competition, and it is defined not just by the balance of power between the great powers, but, but it's about ideas as well. And he talks about autocracies and democracies, dictatorships and democracies. I think he's right about that. I think the challenge, first and foremost from China, but second with Russia there as well, is not just about power, it's about ideas as well. Where I think I differ somewhat in some of the comments that the administration has made is they they have this shifting of resources mentality. It's like we did we have not done enough on China, and so we need to shift everything to China, and we need to have NATO speak about China as they did at the NATO summit. We need to move resources out of the Middle East and and focus them on China. And and I think they're missing, when they talk in those ways, they're missing how everything's interconnected if it's an ideological struggle. I was going to say, they're intrinsically connected, particularly in this case. Right, because the worst thing for the small D Democrats fighting around the world, and I would say this has been true for decades, but it's most certainly true today, is when we look weak, is when we look incompetent. Small D Democrats that I talk to from Belarus to Russia to China to Iran, they always say that. When you look weak, you're hurting the movement, the democratic movement. So COVID and the way we bungled that in the Trump years, that affected the way the democratic autocratic fight around the world, because China said, well, look how we've done. So in the short term, there's just no doubt if you look at Russia press, which I have, and and Chinese press, which I see summarized by others, of course, this is a short-term victory for them because we look incompetent. We look weak. We look like we don't know what we're doing. The converse of that, of course, is, is we can get better and show that we have capacity and show that we have humanity. I would like a lot more empathy towards the Afghan people, by the way. I, I get it that the government was corrupt and the, the army decided not to fight, even though the army did fight for many, many years. Let's not forget that. They decided they cut their deals and that's what they did. But the human rights activists that I know, they didn't cut their deals. The journalists that I know, they didn't cut their deals. I'm literally in conversation with them as they try to escape. So empathy for them and then support, those are not just because it's the right thing to do, but it also helps in this this fight, this more ideological fight with Russia and China, that we don't leave these people behind and that small D Democrats 
in Afghanistan are just as important to us as as our own Democrats here in our country. Yeah, and I think that was part of Biden's message when he gave his remarks. Like, we we do need to deal with yes. the rights of women, children in Afghanistan. We do this diplomatically. We do this in other ways. We do it all over the world in other ways. But it's going to really, I think, be be sort of have a microscope on the world stage with how we deal with this exfiltration, with getting everybody out. Right. And by the way, I'm, you, you're completely right about his speech. I thought it was a very brave speech. Mm-hmm. I admired a lot of things in that speech. I, I think the revisionist history... I just think they should relax that. They don't they don't need to convince people of what George W. Bush said. I think that prompted him to make his statement, by the way. But that, that's for historians to do. He doesn't need to fight that fight. But on this point, he, he needs to, uh, you know, I think it was a first investment. And I, I think they need to really double down and triple down on this, that you can defend human rights without invading countries. Mm-hmm. And we're not good at it. I wrote a whole book called Advancing Democracy Abroad. Yeah. Why yeah. we shouldn't, how we can. Back then, we were four for 17 in terms of use of military force for democracy afterwards. It's not, a, it's a, we have a lot of tragic history where it doesn't work, but that cannot, in my view, then be used as an excuse or an alibi for not using non-military means to advance and support human rights around the world. Yeah. And this tragedy is, is, a, is a shame for so many reasons. But also politically speaking, we, you know, we're just trying to push through this bipartisan infrastructure bill, which which is, yes, about building roads and bridges. But more importantly, it was about getting a message out to the world to dictators and to autocrats that democracy does work. We can get things done. Yes. And now I feel like that's just completely overshadowed by what's happening now. And that's a real shame. Hopefully, when that that comes back into the news cycle, we'll be able to see We'll be able to see that. Yeah, it's a great point, though. I agree that that actually is bigger that in the long run, being able to build back better, uh, to use their phrase, uh, being able to to do the investments in infrastructure and research and development. That's how we'll we'll win that longer term ideological struggle. Yeah. And that we can get stuff done with Republicans. I mean, it's a big bipartisan yes. vote. Yes. In the Senate. Great point. Yeah, which which, you know, China was like, you can't get anything done in a democracy. And, and Biden was like, ah, watch me. Right. And it works. And like I said, unfortunately, now it's just completely overshadowed. But again, hopefully that'll come back. And finally, before I let you go, I wanted to talk to you about folks who are comparing this to Vietnam or folks in, in mainstream media, not just on the fringes, saying that the people in Taiwan must be watching this with great fear. And I, I disagree with both of those analogies. And I, and I think that you do as well. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah. First, the Taiwan analogy is completely false for so many reasons. But the central reason is that Taiwan has a functioning state. They have a functioning military. They will defend themselves with or without us. It is not house of cards. And that's just completely false analogy, in my view, on that front. The other one I think is it needs to be taken on in, in, in a much more compelling way for a couple of reasons. One, one is, you know, I don't even know where to begin for where it's where it's false and where it's true. I mean, you know, Saigon in 75, the peace agreement was three years earlier, right? So it was a different, it was a different thing. Number number two, it was a peace agreement. You know, I my principal criticism of the Trump administration uh, back then. Uh, was that they didn't they didn't even try, in my view, to negotiate a peace agreement between the warring parties. They negotiated with the Taliban. Ghani was not at the table. That's very different than what we tried to do in Vietnam. 
But number three, there's some there. So that that I think is just false. And just because the imagery is the same. It's I, not I think, even the same, though. I yes. mean, it's like, you know, that that helicopter was landing. It wasn't going onto the roof. There Good weren't point. Good point. You know, but there's a but there's a long there's a longer term piece, though, that everybody's thinking of the analogy as a negative one. And I want to suggest in the longer term, the analogy actually has some very positive attributes. Number one, I hear people today, just happened to be watching Fox News now last night, and I hear people talking about the scary immigrants that are going to come from Afghanistan and overrun our country. And and I wish those people would study 1975 and study what those Vietnamese families did and where they landed and look at their GDP per capita and look at how fantastically successful they have been and their amazing, amazing contribution to American society. Mm. And just Google one of them. He's my, he's my classmate. His name is John Tien. He is now the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. John's family came from Vietnam in 1975 in this moment of incredible tragedy. You know what? John became first in his class at West Point. John became a Rhodes Scholar with me. He had nothing. And now he's the Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security. That is also part of the story that they say is this incredible tragedy. And in the longer term, I would also remind people that that we did recover from Vietnam. It was horrible. I consider the Vietnam War the greatest tragedy of American foreign policy in the 20th century, bar none. It's in a place by itself. And even after that tragedy, Secretary Austin was just in Vietnam a few weeks ago, working on common interests. And, 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 you know, we have rebuilt that relationship. So when you want, if you want to roll out 1975, you got to roll out the rest of the story after 75 as well. Yeah. And the numbers too. I mean, hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese and the babies, you know, you make such a good point that just to look forward a little bit, you know, as to the, the, the positive benefits, but that would be a uh, very counterintuitive to a talking point on that side of the aisle. You know, right now it feels very uh, xenophobic, very fear mongering. And I hope that we don't end up in a position as we were after 9-11. You know, people are just ostracized, completely ostracized. I hope we've grown as a nation. And I think that we have since that time. Well, I hope so, too. And, and I've been doing a little reading about this, just reminding myself it's, it's worth reflecting on how American society talked about people of Vietnamese descent back then too, right? Let's not forget back then they were the enemy. Not all Americans were discriminating between South and North. And they went through that those times too. I've had uh, people from Vietnam who have worked for me for many years, but we got over it. And I think it's important to remember that. And especially to remember just the incredible contribution that they've made to American society. And I have every reason to believe I know, you know, lots of people trying to get out of Afghanistan today. These are these are the people that love America. They are the best and the brightest. And it's tragic for Afghanistan that they're losing their best and the brightest because of this horrific group that's about to take over. But that is that is to our benefit in the long term. Yeah. And I am heartened to see so many governors and Americans uh, embracing and wanting to take take the refugees and asylum seekers in. And I think that that's uh, I think it bodes well, and I hope that I hope that it does. Yes. Uh, but I do appreciate your time today. I really, really appreciate your insights. I encourage everyone on a totally different subject to, to read from Cold War to Hot Peace. 
it's it's such a great book. And I, I do want to have you back on sure, at course. some point to discuss what's going on with the Eastern District of New York and the, <laughs> the look at, into Ukraine and Rudy Giuliani and Parnas and Fruman and all that. But I think we may have some breaking news uh, in the coming months in, in that arena. And I would love to talk to you when that does happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much. Mike McFall. Everybody stay tuned. We'll be back with the good news. Hello, everyone. It's AG for the Beans. And today's episode is brought to you by Bowl and Branch. You know, I love my Helix mattress, but I love putting the most incredible, soft, amazing sheets on it even more. There are certain things in life I will not compromise on, like the quality of the food I put in my body. We all have uncompromising standards in other parts of our lives, like sleep is mine. My bed has to be the best. So why skip out on quality when we spend a third of our lives sleeping? The husband and wife team that started Bowl and Branch realized no sheets on the market met their standards for quality. So they created their own super soft, expertly crafted signature sheets. You can feel the difference immediately. I did. I absolutely love mine. I'm crazy about my Bowl and Branch sheets. They're buttery soft, very luxurious. The ultra-refined luxe fabric has the spectacular drape and silken feel, which I love. Their lightweight, super soft sateen weave gets softer with every wash. They have a perfect balance of weight and breathability to pamper warm or cool sleepers through any season. And the best part, there's no middleman between you and Bowl and Branch, so you get luxury quality for the fairest price. They stand behind their products and honor a 30-night worry-free guarantee if you're unsatisfied. So to experience the entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com and you'll get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com and promo code DAILYBEANS. And this portion of the show is also brought to you by Scribd. Do you ever feel like you're spending more time browsing for entertainment than actually enjoying it? I know that I sit there on Netflix and who I just roll and scroll and scroll and I'm like, ah, just watch The Office. <laughs> but trying to pick out a new book or audiobook also takes me forever. But Scribd to the rescue. They make choosing my next book so much simpler. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. Scribd is the ultimate reading subscription service, letting you explore all of your interests in any format you choose, whether it's magazines, audiobooks, ebooks, and more, for only $9.99 a month. You get the entire library for less than the cost of a single book. No complicated credits to worry about, or expiring credits, or additional purchases. And if you're not sure what to read, Scribd combines the latest technology with the best human minds to recommend content that you specifically will love. It's catered to you. You want to change things up? You're free to switch between titles, genres, and formats anytime on your phone, tablet, or computer. Right now, we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. So go to try.scribd.com slash dailybeans for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D, dot com slash dailybeans to get 60 days of Scribd for free. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news on this Friday, which never happens, is Dana. Hi, Dana. Hi. I, I hope we get to be in court today, but I don't think we I don't know if we'll get to, but those that would make me happy. Yeah, I don't know. But if you have a dispute you want settled in Amy's court or Dana's court or AG's court, any court, any of our courts, any leguminati court, you can send it in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact, along with any other of the games that we're playing or corrections are also welcome. Just pretty much anything. I'll kick us off with a submission here from Anonymous, pronouns he and him. Dear AGDG and the rest of the Beans crew, for the first time in a long time, I have actual good news to share. Oh, good. I applied for a new job. Without getting into specifics, I hope to make a similar oath as AG made a couple of times already. Ooh. 
Getting hired would mean a complete transformation of my life from getting out of a state I don't want and I'm just a bit afraid to be in into actually making a living wage and having health care for the first time in my life. For most of the last decade, I worked as an independent contractor for a major media company. Listening to your interview with Brian Karam, more than a few critiques of our media ecosystem resonated with me. And I think I can offer a bit of a look into the sausage factory. Brian is absolutely right when he says the money is the root of the problem with our media. Unless an outlet is subsidized and left alone or has a donation-based business model like ProPublica, that outlet is beholden to either a parent company or ad revenue or both. Speaking personally, my most popular and successful pieces have been nuanced deep dives where I take the time to lay out context and examine the evidence on all sides. There absolutely is an appetite out there for that kind of journalism. Just look at the success of last week tonight, full frontal with Sam B, as well as everything you and the rest of the MSW creators have done. More people than we realize really do want a better understanding of the world around us. Apologies for such a long submission without mentioning a dildo. Oh, Louis Gohmert is so dumb. He thinks Louis Gohmert is smart. <laughs> you did mention a dildo. You got it in at the end. <laughs> no pun intended. Oh, what? I'll be here all week. Good job. Actually, I won't be here all week. Oh, I am here all week, except one day. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for... Jesus Christ. Thanks for kicking us off. Our next submission is from Alan, pronounce he and him. Suggestion. Alternative name for the former guy. Simply, twice impeached. I feel the former guy gives him more credence than he deserves. Also, it's nice to have more than one name to use. <laughs> the attached photo is my mischievous cat, Cranberry, who is policing the bird feeder just outside the window to make sure no squirrels pillage the treasure. No squirrels are taking it. She has the most and weirdest personality of any cat I've ever known. She's not much of a lover, but she certainly fits the curiosity stereotype well. My wife and I religiously listen to your show. We can't get enough. You provide sanity and hilarity to the disparity that is the current political climate. Mm -hmm. Thank you for everything you do. Don't let those fuckers continue to transgress against our country, global democracy, and the truth with impunity. Nice ending. Nice well ending, written, indeed. Look at her just showing off her little bootay. Hey, girl, hey. Hey, that's exactly what I have. <laughs> what I'm hearing from those. Hey, mm, sachet. Like mm -hmm. she's, look at her little toes. She's a little twinkle toes. Okay. Cute. Oh, Chris in Portland. Love Chris in Portland. Hello, leaders of the Illuminati. In the midst of all the bad news coming out these days, I felt like it was a good time to gather up the things that make me happy these days. First, Tesla is recovering well from both his radiation and follow-up surgery. It has been aggressive and may come back, but right now he's walking around with the cone uh, or the onesie. Oh, without the cone or the onesie. Awesome. Happily bullying the other cats <laughs> and demanding copious lap time. I'm including two pictures of him, including one where he's clearly asking us to draw him like one of our French girls. Second good news is my daughter got her second COVID job on Tuesday. Awesome. Which means she'll be fully vaccinated the day before school starts. Oh, such a weight off. I imagine. I imagine. And my last good news for today is a happy place, even though it was a temporary one. This photo is from the New York City happy hour. Meeting folks there and hanging out with Allison was amazing. Thank you for this amazing community and all the friends I've made as a result. What a great photo. You both look fabulous, my friend. There we are. Hi, Chris. I know I love her hair. I think there was some purple. Yours is there sassy too. too. Yeah, I went for a little side pony with a curl <laughs> in it, and, and I was getting ready. And my friend's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I don't even know." Who cares? <laughs> it worked. <laughs> oh, that was a fun day. All right, next in from Kristen. <gasps> oh, shh. 
pronouns she and her. When I was growing up, my dad loved to mix up phrases. Actually, he still does. He says things like, I can't carry a tune in a wet paper bag. (laughs) And has passed this on to me, though I do it unintentionally. I can't not say... Now we're cooking with grease, or we'll burn that bridge when we come to it, (laughs) or I have too much fire on the coals. I will eternally aspire to best my favorite of my dad's. That's how the cookie bounces. (laughs) I thought that was the real phrase until I was well into my 20s and heard a coworker say, that's how the cookie crumbles. And I tried to correct them. (laughs) Damn it, dad. Oh, my God. For pet tax, I'm attaching a picture of my cousin's pup, Athena, along with her DNA breakdown and genealogy. She weighs about 20 pounds in this picture, and that should more than double when she's fully grown. She's three breeds, and as a hint, two of them are basically the same. The one is a mini version. The third was a surprise. Can you guess? Okay, there is an Australian shepherd in here. I would say that there is a husky in here. Wow, she looks. She's got the eyes of the of the White Walkers from Great Game of Thrones. Like she's gonna yeah. turn us all into zombies that pet her. And a mini mini Aussie. Yeah, mini Aussie. Uh, Pyrenees. Yeah, I can do. I I see mini Aussie in a Great Pyrenees and Husky. Uh, maybe, Although I'm only saying Husky because of the eyes, and a lot of Australian shepherds have those. So. Maybe not a Pyrenees. All right, let me see this these hints again. Two of the breeds are basically the same, though one is a mini version. Okay, so uh, cattle dog and mini Aussie. Yeah. Right, because those are basically the same, but one's a mini version. The third husky is what you're saying. And I'm going to say chow chow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have Australian shepherd, miniature American shepherd, and Bernie's mountain dog. I was so close with the Pyrenees. You were, you were, you were. So awesome. full so full size Australian Shepherd, miniature American Shepherd. I've never even fucking heard of that. That's I'm getting my dog book right now. Cute. I mean, the dog's adorable. Oh, I know those eyes. Oh, and she looks so soft. Oh my goodness. Athena, good name, good name. Oh, there's a whole family tree. Oh, look. All right, here we go. Next up from TJ, pronouns he and him. Just saw this set of monogrammed air tags at the Apple store in Roseville, California. I thought it was just perfect for you. Unicorn, AG, heart, and then blank. Right, blank. Mm-hmm. There you go. I love it. Uh, that was so short, but the last one is long. You want to split it? Yeah, I'll, I'll, you start and then I'll, I'll finish. All right, I'll hand off. Ready? Here we go. This one's from Bob's pronouns he, him. Hello, Beans Queens. A quick thank you and some good news. All of you, Alice and Dana, Amy, have made me laugh frequently since I became a listener not long ago. Frequently. Yes. <laughs> There's so much to be troubled about, disturbed by, in the news, yet your sense of humor and skills as comedians do more than I can express to keep me going. I'm guessing I speak for many of your listeners as well. In particular, I laughed out loud the other day as Dana recounted her experience <laughs> with the deer on the boardwalk on her trip. Thinking of a deer shoving drunks out of the way, barking, fuck, fuck, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Then calmly returning to browse on foliage, cracked my shit up. I had to say thank you for that and for all the laughs each of you contribute to keep us informed and motivated. I'll get to my good news and then I'm going to hand it off. My good news is that I'm recovering bit by bit from a traumatic experience about a month ago. I was out and about on the errand with my dog, Daisy, photos and clothes for pet tax. When a dog belonging to a passerby leaned over to exchange sniffs from the end of their leashes, uh uh-oh, the passerby took exception to their dog approaching mine and imposed some very unkind interventions (gasps) with the leash. 
Description is intentionally vague to spare fellow listeners trauma similar to what I experienced watching it in real time. A.G.? Oh, I tried to interrupt the abusive behavior to no avail. The passerby took exception to my attention and harsh words were exchanged. Couldn't help myself from expressing my shock and anger, though I know it likely only made things worse. Anyway, I've been able to begin some therapy for PTSD symptoms, and time is also healing the wound bit by bit. That healing has helped me greatly by listening to your humor, as well as the amazing courage and resilience of other listeners as they encounter their own challenges and find creative ways to heal and grow. In my case, I'm a professional dog trainer specializing in gentle, science-based, fear-free, force-free training techniques, helping dogs with good manners, aggression, and fear-based behaviors. My recent encounter with the unkind passerby only leaves me more determined to promote humane and intelligent training and education for my clients and the public as I go forward. Thanks as ever for your invaluable gifts to your community. We are all better off for the wisdom and humor you share with each new episode. Oh, I don't even want to think about... I can't stand that either, by the way. I, I actually have no inside voice when that happens. If someone does something mm-hmm. to a dog with a leash, I, I, I don't... I, it comes out. It, it, I think it's just a reflective um, response. It's like a mama bear thing. I'm like, totally. no, 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 no. Yep. I'm like, did, did you just fucking, what did you just fucking do? You Usually know? And I, I yell, hey, <laughs> and then something yeah. follows that. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's always a swear word in there for me. And I just, I can't stop it. But look at these beautiful, look at this. Baby. I know. I need a dog. Look how happy. I I don't want to say I wish I didn't travel so much because last time I said that we had a pandemic. (laughs) Um, But I have to say. It's all your fault, Dana. I know. I do wish that I traveled just enough that I could still have a dog. That I wouldn't feel like I was abandoning at home. Yeah. I know. There should be some sort of an app for comics where they can just share apartments and dogs and. Totally. Travel and when one's out, the, you know, one's home, you know, somebody would be there. (laughs) <laughs> that's like that's a dream right to get a house with like 10 bedrooms no i don't want to live with whoa dogs. yep nope 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 i did as soon as it came out of my mouth i was like yeah, zip, let yep. me i'd rather no. have a friend that was a dog walker <laughs> yeah i'll stay i'll stay with cats yeah <laughs> <laughs> boy wouldn't it be great to live with 10 ca- no uh, no nope. nope. i can't even say the rest of the sentence hmm oh my goodness thanks for i know i, I sat in for amy today Woo. Just chatty, chatty, just chatty, chatty today during the episode. You and I have both had a very long day. Yeah, it's a long week. And uh, it's the yeah, it's the end of a long day and the end of a long week. And, um, uh, you know, that this is the kind of show you get. That's it. This is what we do. <laughs> we know you're going to be back on Monday. You'll forgive us. Yep. And I got one week left before I get to rest my brain. And... Um, it's always that last week that this, things get really interesting. Yeah. How did I do it for two years without a vacation? I, I don't even I know. actually went, there was a time where I figured out that I had not gone on a trip that I was not working at some point during the trip in five years, AJ. Jeez. And I promised I would never do that to myself again. You know, a lot of people see my trips and they're like, oh my God, beautiful places, so much travel, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I'm grateful that I get to see the world because I can make people laugh. It's also exhausting. Every time you walk out into public, you are working. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's very lonely. A lot of people don't know like road comics. It's just 99% of your time is sitting around in a fucking Hampton Inn watching forensic files. Yeah. (laughs) Like eating Cheez-Its. Yeah. Wondering what you're doing with your life. 
but then you know you spend you spend half hour 45 minutes on stage and you're like all right that's and then you go right why. back to the hampton yeah. inn yeah, yeah that's, it. <laughs> that's it and then on to the next town and they melt into each other anyway anyway joy joys i still wouldn't give it up for the world never never all right well that's our show and uh everybody have a great weekend and until until monday well i think you'll hear me sunday for the msw book club and muller she wrote but then dana and i will be back on monday and until then please take care of yourselves take care of each other take care of the planet and take care of your mental health i've been allison gill and i've been dana goldberg and them's the beans the Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. <laughs>